the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we can find useful. Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to We Get Real AF, everyone. I'm Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. We are doing some fun new things on social you should check out. You can find us at We Get Real AF across all platforms, including live streams on Twitch and video recordings on YouTube. And if you haven't already, please take a quick moment to subscribe, rate, and comment on the show. Well, who among us has at some point been stuck in a traffic jam or faced a long daily commute to work? I know that I have. Um, the pandemic has certainly relieved some of that traffic over the past year, but as more people leave big urban areas to work hybrid jobs, the need for efficient ways to commute potentially over longer distances isn't going away. So joining us today to talk about an emerging form of commuting by air is Diana Siegel. Diana is Director of Strategy for Electra Aero, a company developing hybrid electrical aircraft designed for ultra-short takeoff and landing. These commuter aircraft will provide sustainable, close-in access to urban centers without the need for a runway. Prior to her role with Electra, Diana oversaw electric aircraft projects for both Boeing and Porsche. Diana holds an MS in Aeronautical Engineering from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and a Bachelor's in Electrical Engineering from the University of Queensland, Australia. And she is joining us today all the way from beautiful Lucerne, Switzerland. Diana, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. Hi, Sue. Hi, Vanessa. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so delighted to have you. And before we uh, learn more about the future of commuting, by air. And in my head, I have to admit, this probably dates me, but I think of the Jetsons and their cute little car that they're going <laughs> But anyway, before we dive into all that, can you tell us how folks can find you online and also Electra Aero online? Sure. So you can find Electra Aero under www.electra.aero. You can find me on LinkedIn under Diana Siegel and also electra.aero or just email me at uh, siegel.diana at electra.aero. Awesome. So I know there are a couple of acronyms that are really important in your industry. One is ESTAL, I think it's pronounced. And can you tell us just a little bit about what electrical, what the types of vehicles are that you're, you're involved in developing? Sure. So at um, Electra Aero, we are developing uh, what we call sort of a quiet e-stall aircraft that's really targeted at serving regional sort of like an urban air mobility market, really extreme or ultra short uh, takeoffs and landings where within about 100 foot or something, you're becoming airborne so that you could take off and land within basically the size of a parking lot or a barge. So really something that we could see uh, placed sort of like in every city, community, every smaller town. So you could create this high speed uh, air connectivity network directly between cities sort of like rather than having to go through large airports, right, that are typically at the outskirts. Of, of town, right, that takes you an hour or more to get just to and through to really sort of like help build that kind of high-speed connectivity between our cities and regions. I know that we've seen some real demographic shifts here in the U.S. Uh, post-pandemic uh, as people move to more remote areas, you know, and some of their work they can do remotely, but some of it they still have to be able to commute in and out. So can you kind of give us a picture of how your company sees the future of 
commuting. Yeah, no, this is this is really a technology that could just expand your radius of life, right? Sort of like be that for where you live or uh, where you get to spend your weekends, who you might be able to visit sort of like in the evenings, and particularly in a world where you might not have to go to the office every day, but you might be going um, once or twice a week. Um, you could imagine sort of like taking one of these e-stall aircraft for maybe a hundred mile trip or 60, even up to 150 miles and basically get there within 30 minutes or to an hour. Uh, something that first from a timing perspective is, is doable and uh, also from an affordability perspective is, is very much doable. Because if you look at how much uh, you could actually save in terms of your rent, right, or your house price living um, further out sort of like from a large populated area and kind of balance that with um, the pricing that we're imagining for that kind of service, uh, that is something that would become very much affordable for the average person, not just for a very selected few VIPs that might be even doing this today with helicopters. Can you explain um, or speak a little bit to the technology that allows for such speed within such a short distance? So in our case, what we're doing is um, just imagine a very uh, conventional aircraft, fuselage, wing, a tail, but instead of just adding one or two engines to either the, the nose or the, the wing, what you do is you place uh, eight small electric propulsors along the full span of the wing and imagine sort of like blowing that wing very intensely with those small electric uh, propulsors. If you blow the wing uh, intensely with those propulsors, the wing is able to make much more lift at much slower speed and uh, therefore you're able to take in a much uh, take off in a much shorter distance than you could if you didn't have that technology so we're taking off at something like 30 miles an hour right at an extremely slow speed compared to a conventional aircraft so really something that's that's um, city driving speed for a car right it's a slow takeoff just leveraging the the power of blown lift and uh, electric propulsion it's like accelerating with a car from a stoplight, right? Up to 30 miles an hour. We do it all the time. And uh, well, instead of continuing to drive, uh, imagine you'd be taking off at the at the end of that acceleration. That's incredible. Do you envision this technology being like at some someday people having this instead of a car in addition to a car? Or is it going to be more like a public transportation that's a great question because um, every time we're talking about the Jetsons, right, and this idea of particularly <laughs> the term flying car, right, the uh, image that pops into your mind, well, I'm going to have to sitting in my garage, right, and I'm just going to take off vertically and uh, sort of like fly to wherever I'd like to go to work to the grocery store to, to visit a friend. But uh, to your point, Vanessa, it's really intended to be at least initially, right, to be more of a managed service, something that professional operators would provide. You fly um, from one sky to the other, and then you might use ground transport on the other end as well, but really intended to be more of a managed service rather than something that you and I would necessarily drive around like uh, we do our cars today. So I hear a lot of individual passengers, but do you also see this being leveraged as somewhat of a, you know, public bus transportation where you're carrying multiple passengers at once? We are looking at sizes around five to nine passengers. That That's a good size to be able to do a extreme short uh, takeoff and landing, not as much as in a large aircraft. We're not talking about 50 to 150 people. How far in the future? We expect to see um, first routes and uh, first use cases popping up uh, over the next five years, uh, starting sort of like in 2025 uh, to uh, towards 2030. What cities will y'all be doing this in initially? 
you could imagine operating this uh, in the Northeast corridor, right, between uh, Boston sort of like and New York to Philadelphia to D.C., uh, connecting the uh, Cape Cod, Nantucket, right, those, those kind of places. Imagine uh, in California, metro area, Los Angeles, connecting sort of like all those uh, different uh, areas in, in that region. And it shouldn't just be limited to the coastal areas, right? We uh, see uh, a lot of use cases in Texas sort of like be that uh, also in the Midwest and, and really anywhere sort of like globally, right? Like that should not be a solution that's uh, just sort of like applicable to, uh, to the U.S., but we really see a lot of opportunity there um, worldwide, right, for any region that's looking to establish a high-speed uh, high speed connectivity between their cities where maybe you know, there's a lot of road congestion and uh, it doesn't necessarily make sense to put a train in. I know it's early on still, but... You've uh, mentioned affordability and what does, uh, I don't know, uh, a pass for, for, for this type of, um, you know, travel cost or even like a one, one way ticket or two way ticket for the day. Like what, what conversations have been had surrounding the financials on this? In the beginning, obviously it's going to be a little more expensive, but um, as sort of utilization of those vehicles grow, uh, grow, as the fleet numbers grow, as the operation uh, uh, gets gets moved out, uh, we expect that price to come down. And uh, we're really targeting a price range of, you know, something that you pay for an Uber today per, per mile. That is a very much achievable number. And uh, if you were to take a 60 mile trip, right, that would cost you on the order of $100. So that's, that's something you know, that you wouldn't do necessarily every day for your everyday mm -hmm. As we were talking before, if you're taking a trip once or twice uh, a week into the into the city, that might be very much, very much affordable. That's actually a lot more affordable than the number I had in my head, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And I'd also like to talk about the sustainability. How does that piece of it work? Our aircraft is designed to be hybrid electric, so it uses a combination of battery sort of like and a liquid fuel, but uh, simply sort of like since we're targeting longer ranges on the order sort of, of uh, 200 nautical miles or 250 statute miles plus, and battery technology isn't quite there yet to do that all electrically, but even with a hybrid design, we're finding that we're able to beat, uh, say if we were to take five passengers and in our vehicle that sits um, seven people, we're actually finding that that's uh, using a lot less energy or fuel burn than uh, if those five passengers were to take their cars, right, and take that, that exact same trip. So we're really able to offer to uh, communities, to cities, a more sustainable alternative. We might reimagine what the city of the future looks like, right, that might be more built around the human rather than the personal car, right, that... Mm -hmm sort of like micro-mobility, um, to be able to get around, sort of like close to where you live. Um, ideally, sort of like we set things up in a way where, you know, you can walk to the office, you can actually get your groceries done within a walk, right? And have sort of like recreational facilities also in such a way that you wouldn't necessarily need to need to drive, right? And leverage sort of like micro-mobility for those kind of trips during the day. And then if you have a longer trip that you're looking to do, to do between one urban center and the other, uh, you could establish basically that high-speed network. Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. 
Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. Well, uh, Diana, we always love exploring uh, jobs of the future. Can you chat with us about um, what type of jobs will be created by, you know, this this new era, right, of, the, of flying uh, taxis, basically. So a lot goes into the engineering. Uh, the electric propulsion systems are, that's new technology, right? So a great new, uh, great opportunity for young talent. But then if you look at um, the next stage, right, we're really looking to commercialize that technology, um, integrate it with the rest of the transport mix, really start um, providing the service to passengers. It's just a lot of opportunity there on uh, the operations of that vehicle, the communications, the marketing, making sure that we communicate about this uh, technology, right? And the value that could bring to a community to make sure that um, people there embrace it. Well, on in that vein, I would love to hear more about your own career path. I know you have a couple of, of engineering degrees, aeronautical and electrical engineering, I believe. And uh, tell us what your journey has been. Yeah, so um, for me, I mean, I'm, always sort of like love math, science, sort of like STEM subject in high school. So it was pretty obvious to me I was going to do something in, uh, you know, tech or engineering and uh, always had a fascination with flying, not necessarily with uh, flying yourself, right, but with the idea of building flying machines. Like it just seemed so incredible to me as a, as a species, right? We're not built to be able to fly, but that, you know, with uh, human intellect, with, with working through practice, we could actually create machines that could take us from one end of the globe to the other, right, within a matter of a day, just always seemed fascinating to me, and I wanted to be part of that industry. So um, I've enrolled in engineering, actually electrical engineering for, for undergrad, then um, got lucky to, to work for a couple of larger aerospace companies in Germany for Lufthansa Technik and Maintenance Engineering, and then the defense side of what is now Airbus Group as a design engineer. Great experience to just learn sort of like how an operation works, how a large engineering project is set up, right? And how, how all the pieces come together. Um, and then went back to grad school, actually studied aerospace engineering, got lucky to get into MIT and work with just a, a wonderful sort of group of professors and uh, students that uh, were just super keen on, I guess, uh, changing the world, right? <laughs> 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 and, well, I don't know, luck would have it, but I actually didn't end up in, in aerospace engineering after graduating uh, from, from my master's, but uh, ended up going into management consulting with the Boston Consulting Group. And I think that that was an eye-opening, just awesome experience that I'm still drawing on today because it just got this great insight into how large corporations function, how they make decisions uh, quickly, right? Also with limited kind of information. And uh, that that was just a great exposure uh, to another side um, of, of the world, right? To the business world rather than just the, the pure engineering side of things. Um, but a few years in, uh, at an alumni dinner, got um, acquainted with the CEO of Aurora Flight Sciences, a company I'd always admired based out of um, Virginia in, in the U.S. that uh, had just built amazing planes, sort of like uh, long endurance planes, um, robotic airplanes, highly 
highly automated airplanes. And uh, they had big plans to get into the commercial side uh, of things, sort of like had a couple of projects on the way. So um, I joined them and about a year in, we uh, kicked off the flying car project or the air taxi project uh, prior to the Uber Elevate conference uh, back in 2017 that really put this entire idea of urban air mobility on the map. But uh, with that project, we uh, traded a bunch of configurations, uh, built a subscale aircraft design, a quarter scale uh, aircraft seven foot long, just to show that the technology could, could in principle in principle work. And uh, well, about a year later, we were acquired by the Boeing company, who then gave us the opportunity to actually build that aircraft uh, that was an eVTOL, not an eStOL, so an all electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. They gave us the opportunity to build that full scale. Um, I was lucky to get uh, to be the program manager, the program lead for that. And uh, we grew basically the team from G's, our small group of five people that had basically put together this little aircraft in a garage. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Uh, basically grew that team to 100 people that then built a uh, serious um, one ton sort of like full scale people sized uh, aircraft to show that an all electric, uh, how well sort of like an all electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft could work. And we got to fly that um, about a year into that uh, into that program, which was which was super exciting for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, for various reasons, including the pandemic, that that program didn't uh, continue after, but uh, gave me the opportunity to um, follow the former CEO of uh, Aura Flight Sciences, John Langford, who is now the founder and CEO of Electra Aero, basically gave me the opportunity to follow him to Electra and uh, pursue eStole, which uh, when we were trading designs, always felt like, well, this is a really interesting alternative really should look at. So uh, ended up basically in my current role uh, through that path. Amazing. And, you know, I, when you said as, as a kid, you always thought it was so cool to think about, we're not designed as humans to fly, but we can design machines that can take us, you know, anywhere in the world in a matter of hours. I'm always in awe of airplanes and bridges. <laughs> For some reason, anytime I get on an airplane <laughs> or I cross a bridge, I'm just like, dang, you know, this is amazing technology. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> the sheer joy that's coming off of Diana, like mm -hmm. you can just tell she's enjoyed every minute of, of her career and, and getting to, to just play. I mean, that's exactly what it sounds like. You've just been playing this entire time, which is awesome. <laughs> Working hard, but enjoying it. <laughs> you forget the hard times, right? The, the all-nighters until 5 a.m. and the frustrations, right? When things don't work out. No, but I, I think that's part of it, right? If it was easy, I think it wouldn't be a memorable experience. It wouldn't feel that rewarding at the end of the day. I think you mm -hmm. have to have these, these hard times in there as well, right? Just accept that they're part of the game, push through and uh, keep going. I just think that, you know, there's such an opportunity at early education and start teaching our kids like what is out there, what's going to be, you know, in, in their sights of like what's attainable and what they can look into as far as um, new careers. So mm -hmm. um, well, I, it's so, so exciting. So and that that's really what it's exciting for kids, or at least I felt as a, as a teenager and then as a young adult, so what excited me was to work on things where you could actually create something new. So I guess for one reason why I didn't end up in, in aerospace right after grad school 
if uh, the industry seemed kind of boring at that time, right? There was two large players that, um, no offense to either of them, right? But built the same airplane over and over again, right? There was only so much innovation and uh, mm-hmm. largely, of course, also driven by with what you could do with the technology, right? With where uh, regulation was at. And now we're really at a point where we're seeing uh, just a tremendous amount of innovation in aerospace where there's a new class of vehicle coming in. We haven't seen a new class of vehicle in aerospace since the 50s or 60s, right? Mm. Since the jet age and then maybe the helicopter. Uh, so it's really an exciting time in, in aerospace. And um, I'm really hoping a lot of young folks will, will join us and choose that as a career. Absolutely. All right. Are we ready for the lightning round? I think so. I'll start off asking um, one that we love to ask all of our guests, which is three pieces of advice you would give your younger self. That's a great question. Um, First one would be uh, to be more proactive. I think particularly in my very early days, first or second job, right? I think I felt too shy and probably also too impolite and felt that it was impolite, right? To speak up sort of like as the newbie when you felt, well, why are we doing things like that, right? Wouldn't that be a simpler way to do it? And why are we not looking into this opportunity? Um, And I would uh, really tell myself, well, most of the time, uh, people actually look favorably on uh, people putting in suggestions, right, and really being uh, that kind of proactive uh, in, in the conversation. So one thing I would, uh, would do. And uh, second would be um, when choosing a job to really pay disproportionate attention to who is going to be your direct manager and who are going to be the mentors, right, that you'd be working with uh, regularly, that um, really are the people that have just such an extreme impact on uh, what you get exposed to, right? What you get to learn and uh, that that should be extremely important, more important than the salary even. <laughs> and uh, last one would be um, to just not dwell on your mistakes, right? At the end of the day, we'll all make them. And I think as females, we're sometimes pretty good at putting ourselves down over those. But uh, if you didn't make them, you know, it's sort of like you didn't push yourself hard enough. So <laughs> important to just uh, deal with it, move on. Fantastic advice. Mm -hmm. All right, Diana, how do you define success? Uh, To me, it's really um, waking up every morning and knowing sort of I work uh, on a project that creates something completely new, right? And has the opportunity basically to reshape how how we live and work. What resources do you wish existed for women in tech or looking to get into tech that don't currently exist? So for me growing up, I I felt I was really lacking a broad sort of like set of female role models, right? All uh, the spectrums of opportunities that that you would have. And I'd really wish sort of like we'd showcase women more like that. And I'm I'm so excited about the work that you are doing because you're doing exactly that, right? Basically broadening the horizon for women and girls as they get into the workforce and and, uh, think about what they're going to do with their lives. Thank you. Thank you. What celebrity would you cast to play you in a movie? Oh, I'm a, well, we're not exactly in the same age group, but I'm a huge fan of Meryl Streep. I feel like she, ah. she any character, any age, and she's not afraid to speak her mind. Love her. So <laughs> if there's an obstacle or a situation that you encountered in your career as a woman, tell us the story behind that. If you can think of one and how you, how you managed it. One typical thing, I guess that most women will, will find, right? If you're, uh, if you have really the direct comparison in 
being sort of like in a meeting that's maybe more women dominated versus being in a meeting that's more male dominated. The volume of uh, speaking is louder in the male meeting <laughs> and the tone, right, is different. It's more assertive as voices go down at the end of the sentence, right? In, in women's conversations, they tend to go up at the end, inviting sort of like more discourse conversation, right? And uh, uh, sort of like group decision-making, whereas in the male dominated settings I've found, it's very much uh, driven sort of like by a hybrid key raise your voice right if you have to and um, make your point and make your stance and uh, it'll get better over time <laughs> all right last one fill in the blank blank like a girl go for it like a girl yay yes and you have <laughs> certainly done that i have really enjoyed this and really appreciate your time today diana thank you for your energy you're just lovely Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.